Future Hacker Life Path Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we're talking to Elsa Papadopoulou. Elsa joined the European Research Executive Agency as a legal and financial advisor. Previously, she worked for the Directorate General for Research and Innovation of the European Commission, initially within the former Health Directorate, and more recently within the European Innovation Council Task Force, in both acting as a legal policy and project officer. She worked as legal public affairs consultant and business strategic advisor for Arthur Anderson and EY, a nonprofit entity, COST, and an association management company, Callan Europe, in Luxembourg and Brussels. Elsa commenced a part-time long-distance PhD in artificial intelligence and ethics by design in healthcare sector with the Department of Informatics of the Ionian University in Greece. Despite her legal background, Elsa has always enjoyed working at the interface between science, law, and business strategy. Hi, Elsa. It's amazing to have you with us today. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thank you very much also for having me and inviting me to talk to Future Hack. I think it's really, really great. It's nice also to talk to people on the other side of the world. I'm based in Brussels, you're based in Sao Paulo. I think it's extremely nice. I've visited your country only once and I intend to come back again. So I'm happy that I'm one step closer, it seems. That's awesome. And you're also from Greece, right, Elsa? Indeed, indeed. Um, you know what? In almost all my interviews, when I'm talking about technology and innovation, I can't avoid asking about, you know, moral boundaries, ethics, the importance of having those types of discussion, how we could make sure that we're aiming to a more inclusive future. But that's actually the very first time I'm talking to someone with a legal background and directly involved in such discussions for the European Commission. So it's finally, I'm really happy to have you here. And you know what? I'd love to begin by giving our listeners a better idea about yourself, your background, you know, why would someone in legal get into tech? What moves you? Okay, I guess it has to do mostly with the fact that I'm a little bit of a nerd. One would say, I enjoy reading, I enjoy learning. And one of my mottos is that I know one thing that I know nothing. Well, it's not me who invented it, but it's one of our philosophers, my country's ancient philosophers. But I really abide with this principle, and because of this, I've always been curious to find out what's out there. So in this quest of finding out what's out there, I know it will make you laugh, but I came across this movie, Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that was back at the beginning of the 90s. That's your inspiration, the Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> So you see <laughs> what uh, a nerd I've been that I got inspired by Terminator and Skynet and everything that had to do with um, machines deciding on humans and this super intelligence that could judge us on Judgment Day. And I said to myself, okay, that's an interesting subject. Let's start learning a little bit more about that. So... I don't know how I ended up in law, which I adored. It teaches you how to think 
in a quite structured manner. But I think the marriage between law and the technical side was enhanced by my subsequent experience because I was always in the interface. I always had one foot in science and technology, then the other foot on legal in almost every position I've held up to now. So I was lucky enough in the due course when I joined um, the European Commission because I was assigned the file on artificial intelligence and everything that had to do with data, because at the end of the day, the juice of AI, and which is an umbrella term, is data. And then I started uh, learning more about the various technologies like that go under the umbrella, like machine learning, deep learning, etc. And I found the field very, very fascinating. And then I was thinking, okay, If machines can decide for us, there needs to be a sense of um, accountability, of ethics, a framework that somehow encompasses the way the decision process would occur, the decision tree process. And this is what led me to the next step, which was the ethics part. But then going one step backward, I was thinking, okay, it's easy to go into the phase of checking and ticking boxes once processes have been implemented to see if these have been properly implemented doing a pure compliance work, to use a legal term. But then I was thinking that, okay, this aspect of an ethical framework needs to be implemented, embedded at the very beginning, at the conception and the design of autonomous intelligent systems. So where from the idea of this ethics by design was born? Because at that moment I was in the health and care research field, I was able to understand the importance of this um, ethics by design in terms of designing, developing, and using whatever goes under the umbrella of AI technologies in health and care in general. But because I wanted to understand the technical part of it, that's another feature that I have as a legal mind. I like to get down to the technological part of an issue, understand what it is about, and then be able to provide advice. I chose the Department of Informatics of the Ionian University, because in this way I would be able to interact with people that develop the technology and understand where they are coming from. So in a nutshell, this is where my passion for um, autonomous intelligent systems, I would say, was born, be it uh, about the system itself and the science also behind them and also the ethical part of it. So my idea for my PhD was, and still is, to develop a framework that addresses by design ethics aspects in the specific field of health and care. And also I would like to explore aspects like common sense and consciousness and the purpose of use and whether the purpose of use is worthwhile at the end of the day for such technologies. 
So yeah, from the nerdy, geeky part to the more real life part of using such technologies to save lives, find cures and drugs for diseases. I really believe that these technologies can help us improve our lives. So I've dealt with them in terms of uh, policy development. And now I'm exploring with my PhD what would be the impact of such technologies from an ethics point of view and how these ethics axioms could be translated into a kind of a legal framework that could be used as a compass. I find that, first of all, such a, a brilliant combination of expertises as a background. So first of all, I think that having a legal background in any field is already helpful, right? But when we come to, to innovation and technology, I think it's something that it's, it's for sure a current need and it's still going to keep being a, a future need that the speed of innovation is just amazing. And that's definitely something that people should be discussing more frequently. So I think it's brilliant. And just so I take note here, so when are you supposed to present your work? Because you have to come back here to talk about it. <laughs> I will certainly do. Thank you very much. So um, I've been gathering knowledge over the past at least three years. And now I've started sketching out my first paper. I like what I see up to now. I just want to make it as simple as possible so that when people read it, they understand what this AI is about or overall autonomous intelligence system within the specific context. What is the impact? What are the challenges? What are the benefits? And what could be the solutions for the challenges? So my intention is to conclude my PhD in the couple next years, but I really need to get down to <laughs> writing my first papers this year. So I'm just really, really busy with this right now on my free time because, okay, being um, also full-time mom and having a full-time job, which are the priorities, then I do this in my free time, which is for me one of my hobbies. So um, I really enjoy it. Amazing hobby to have. Yeah, it's food for the soul, right? <laughs> okay, so let's go over, uh, which you're clearly an expert as well, transdisciplinary innovation. So, you know, what does it mean? And, and it just sounds to me as it's something, on the same time, it's critical to be able to have this you know, interaction between disciplines to be able to properly build, not only talking about innovation, right, but anything, honestly. It's something that is hard to implement because there are so many different languages of backgrounds in which you are directly involved as well, right? So you basically have to be translating whoever is on the field to the other field. So you're, you know, you have a common ground. So let's go over that. So what does it mean and what are the challenges to be able to actually have a well-functioning cross-disciplinary team working on something? Indeed, this is a challenge and this was one of the objectives of my PhD and it is one of the objectives of my PhD. Really work together with the producers of the technology, the developers, the people who decide on policy, on legislation, on regulation, and the users, myself included. So breaking this down goes a little bit like this. 
I will start by coming back to what I mentioned before, the purpose of use. Marvin Minsky, in one of his writings, he evoked the purpose of use and the notion of examining whether the purpose of use is worthwhile. So this really triggered my curiosity on what would be the best angle to approach this. So trying to put myself in the position of either a healthy individual who wants to simply monitor their eating habits, for example, or um, an athlete that they want to be able to monitor their um, performances, to a person that requires medical assistance or um, a treatment. So from this purpose of use, for example, in the case of a patient, it is worthwhile, a purpose of use is worthwhile when we can efficiently and effectively diagnose a condition and be able to provide the right treatment, be it a drug or something else, to cure the condition or at least improve the situation when it is not possible to completely cure and do this in a way that it is, I would say, compassionate to the person that is suffering from a condition. So from this endpoint, which is just an example, there are steps before that that need to be followed. And in there, you need to have people that have studied, for example, social science and humanities, like legal people to develop the good regulations for a medical device, for example, that uh, includes or has um, an artificial machine learning embedded, or to have uh, regulatory people for the development of standards. And also what you need also to have before that is an absolute interaction with the tech people, the tech development people, so that they understand the point of view of the patient, for example, who will use this solution to improve their living conditions or cure the disease. So a transdisciplinary approach, I think, would increase the efficiency and effectiveness of a solution, and especially in the case of potentially autonomous intelligent systems that can enhance, for example, the diagnosis outcome and where a doctor would need also to somehow be able to validate or verify the result that has been provided by an AI system when it comes to a diagnosis of a disease, where a doctor has been helped by diminishing drastically the time of the diagnosis because an AI system can process huge amounts of data and from different sources. So the transdisciplinary approach can also be beneficial when it comes to addressing the challenges like ethics challenges, for example, how we are going to treat a specific case of a patient versus another, or also we need legal people to address privacy aspects. So all these can be better solved, these challenges, if people from different disciplines come together to produce from the design phase a pattern of collaboration that can save time and effort in the longer term 
and be able to enhance the worthwhileness of the purpose of use of such systems. This is how I, I see the transdisciplinary approach. Yes, and it makes a lot of sense, Elsa. You already, you know, talked briefly, giving the healthcare as an example. So let's try to go a little deeper into that. You know, considering you are really driven into the not only ethics and AA, but into the healthcare system, right? Which would you consider, you know, the main challenges here? And it would be also great to, to cover a little the main opportunities that you see in your field. When it comes to the opportunities, it's the reduction, for example, of time to diagnosis. Another case is the precision medicine, where you can have solutions tailored to an individual's specific needs. And when it comes to challenges, when, for example, there is access to, to personal data or where, for example, there is this liability aspect when there is a decision that has been uh, taken and enhanced by an AI system. So who's to blame? Mm, that's interesting. That's interesting. We've been covering a lot of the data privacy piece, but that's true. The liability part, if a decision is, the decision is always from the professional, but it's still being made by a, a machine behind that, who to blame. This is why it is important that the responsibility stays with the human agent. Of course, you're going to tell me, okay, even now we cannot have a 100% accurate diagnosis. We can have errors. It's very unfortunate. Why should it be different if there is a decision enhanced by an AI agent or an AI system? The difference one could argue is the fact that this system is used exactly for the purpose of increasing the accuracy. So this is why I think the aspect of liability deserves a more in-depth analysis. And it's indeed one of the aspects I intend to deal with in one of my papers, actually. That's great. And that's really interesting, Elsa. Uh, just to, to add a little bit of this, you need, with the use of AI systems, when it comes to ethics, you need to ensure that autonomy is protected, that human safety is promoted, and the overall well-being. So from ethical um, axioms, which is preservation of human life and the improvement of living conditions, you have the axioms that are translated then into aspects of like informed consent, the liability in case something goes wrong, etc. One could argue that we use these systems exactly for the purpose to reduce the errors as much as possible. That's really important. And it opens our mind, right? Because sometimes we're so focused on specific discussions such as data privacy, which is on spot for all the possible fields currently, right? With all the countries uh, discussing this in Europe, the GDPR and things like that. But still, there are so many more other aspects as important or even more important than that, right? 
Yeah, and among these aspects of the ethics aspects, you have the fairness and biases. For example, I was listening um, into a Stanford High webinar when it comes to the allocation of kidney recipients. And there one could detect, based on what it was presented, there was a discrepancy on the types of population and geographical distribution of people who were receiving, who were elected to or assigned to get a kidney transplant versus some others, depending on where they were living or where where they came from. So these aspects of fairness and biases, there has been a huge analysis of biases that can infiltrate the design and operation of um, AI systems. But at the end of the day, what matters is one of the aspects is the quality of data. So I was reading this book, which I found quite illuminating how to make the world add up. And there is this question constantly that one needs to ask what data was used and uh, what data, for example, was not used. And there is this other theory of blind spots. So one not only needs to examine the um, quality of the data that was used, but also know which other data were not used and why in order to be able to identify whether there is a certain level of bias and why this bias has taken place, because it can be that it is well justified and it's not even bias, it's just part of the whole uh, process. So what I'm saying is that there are always two sides of the coin, so I'm not for or against. We need to always try to understand and be able to solve bottlenecks. This part of the explainability and the black box of the algorithm, etc., etc. Of course, it's a big challenge, but I think with this transdisciplinary approach, I come back to this subject again, it could help us to understand better the quality of the data, what data were used, why others were not used, and what can be done to improve this whole um, process of feeding um, data, for example. So these are aspects I'm I'm currently exploring, trying to understand a little bit better. It's challenging for somebody with a non-technical background. I always have in the back of my mind when I talk about these technologies, whether what I'm saying is, okay, accurate or not. So this is pretty challenging and this is why I really like working together with tech people. For example, I think a podcast with someone like me on the one side and somebody who is developing the technology on the other side could be a great opportunity. An amazing debate, that's for sure. That's so, it's brilliant. I think, you know, we can have complementarities. Yes, yes, love it. Okay, so listen, we still have a lot to talk about. So everybody, stay tuned. We are moving to a second episode with Elsa. You see, there's a lot of interesting discussions to have in here. Stay tuned, everybody. We're coming back. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Future.